All right. Hello. It's been a while. Ladies, what gentlemen, is boys, up? girls. What was that, Danny? You're already interrupting me like five seconds into the episode, dude. Come yes. on. Yes, because I'm just so ecstatic to talk to our fans today. Ecstatic to talk to the fans, all certain amount of number of you. Uh, we got a loaded show for you guys today. Uh, some shit went down in the NFL. If you don't live under a rock, Julio Jones got traded. LeBron James just lost in the first round for the first time in his career. Uh, Trey Young is apparently uh, evil. The NBA hates him now, especially the city of New York. Uh, Bucks and Nets matching up in the second round. Is Giannis ever going to learn how to shoot an outside jumper? I'll answer that for you easily. No. And our good friend who will be joining us later, Anthony Sahaski. You guys know him as the hot take artist. We know him as the dumbass that's going to be getting a tattoo of the LA Clippers logo. So without further ado, let's get into it. I'm your host, Mitch McCartney, here with my co-host, Danny Lusai. What's up, guys? And I guess let's just jump right into it, man. I mean, the Julio trade. Holy crap. Yeah, this is an entire loaded situation. That's crazy. It's honestly crazy to see that this trade went down. And I just think that this shook up the league, honestly, because this was a playoff contending team that just received Julio Jones. Oh, it's, oh, it's a total shakeup. Not only are they a playoff contending team, they're a, a playoff contending team with a literal batting ram, battering ram for a running back, Derek Hunt Henry. They just went to the AFC title game. What was it? Two years ago. Yep flirted with beating the Patriots when they were still, you know, the Tom Brady led Patriots that we're so used to seeing. And I think you add this, I mean, just to get into the breakdown real quick, you know, Falcons send wide receiver Julio Jones, a 2023 sixth rounder to the Titans. Titans going to send them a 2022 second round pick and a 2023 fourth round selection. I'm going to be honest. I could have seen this trade coming for one big reason. Uh, Arthur Smith, uh, the newly named head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, just last season was uh, the OC, offensive coordinator for the Titans. So, you know, I mean, you even see that very often in in other cities, uh, especially here in Detroit with, uh, you know, the the Matt Stafford trade, sending Matt to uh, L.A. And we just had gotten Brad Holmes, who was previously the director of college scouting for the Rams. So, I mean, these trades happens happen between two franchises with leaders on the team who are familiar with each other. Um, I think this is a great, great move for Tennessee. I think people are a little too excited about what Julio is going to do there, in my opinion. I mean, Julio's 32 years old. He's had an extensive injury history. I mean, literally today, prepping for this podcast, doing a little bit of research on him and his injury history. It's ridiculous the amount of injuries that he has had in the same area. I believe, if I'm remembering right off the top of my head, just in his professional career, he has had 13 injuries to his right foot alone. And... Yeah, dude, it's it's Damn. it's not good health wise. And we all Danny, we know the story for old aging wide receivers. I mean, you don't just suddenly become more agile and better at age 32, especially in the game of football. Sometimes you see that in basketball. I and mean, we're, we're all familiar with, you know, 
the uh, LeBron James and how he is aged and he just keeps getting better. And I know he had a rough year, but we'll be getting to that. We'll be getting to that later. So to stick with this Julio trade, I mean, it's just kind of nuts. I mean, I don't like it because the whole, you know, Julio's 32. Like I said, he's got all the injury history, but I'll tell you what I do like about the trade is I think it really, really opens things up for that Tennessee offense. We've seen Ryan Tannehill's career there be resurrected. Uh, he sucked in Miami. Let's just call it what he what it is. I mean, he had some fans, but no one in their right mind was saying that Ryan Tannehill was going to be this this big up and coming quarterback who all of a sudden, you know, what was it five five six years into his career when he was trains actually turned things around, which never happens. I mean, and people. Back when he got traded there, we're expecting Mar- Mariota to be the starter. And when he took Mariota's spot, there was a lot of speculation. And all of a sudden, you know, this this offense is is so finely tuned and it's so specific that Ryan Tannehill statistically is one of the five best quarterbacks in the league right now. And you can't even argue it just based off the stats. And I think now that you add Julio Jones to this roster. That is probably the best distraction in the world. For AJ Brown. Not only is it pretty cool for AJ Brown, if you guys don't know, Julio Jones was uh, AJ Brown's idol growing up. And uh, he, uh, throughout the season last year, was wearing Julio's jersey in effort to recruit him to the Titans, which obviously, since we're talking about this, was a great success. So, I mean, to put yourself in that position, not only is, is uh, AJ going to be playing with his, you know, idol in in, in a in Julio Jones, but he's also going to be at least I think distracting a lot of NFL secondaries and opening things up for AJ Brown even more than they already were last year with like I said the improvement of Ryan Tannehill and the uh, you know, the great Tennessee run game that they have. You covered this pretty well. I could tell that you did your research. Also, I think that the Falcons were ready for a change. They wanted something out of Julio Jones, and it looked like he was ready to leave. It just seemed like Kelvin Ridley was ready to become the number one, and the Falcons were acceptant of that. So to see them move on from Julio Jones and try to you know, uh, develop Kelvin Ridley into the number one is just now they have to look at other areas of the offense and they have to look at both sides of the football to be honest with you and to receive those two draft picks is going to help them tremendously so I think that him going to the Tennessee Titans is a very good thing for the Tennessee Titans because I still think that he is good enough to be considered one of the top 10 receivers in the league at least um, we've seen him on the Falcons kind of struggle, um, not not in a way that he was just having horrible games where he wasn't, you know, getting any catches or yards, but it was just to a point where he was not getting as many touchdowns and he wasn't a red zone target. So now moving on to the Titans, it's going to open up more for him because he's going to have weapons on that offense, including King Henry and A.J. Brown, Corey Davis. I mean, Tannehill's a wonderful quarterback, just like you said, top five based off statistics. So to see the Tennessee Titans grow as a franchise just based off of this and seeing that their defense is actually subpar enough for them to make a good run in the playoffs and able to contend against the top teams 
the Tennessee Titans are looking pretty scary after this trade. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I'm kind of shaking in my boots here a little bit. I've, I mean, I'm not mad about it because personally, I don't know, for some reason, I've just taken a liking to the Titans over the past couple of years and the way that Mike Vrabel coaches that team and just the just the whole vibe around the team. I really enjoy watching them. And I, of course, love just like every other football fan. I love watching Derrick Henry throw grown men around like they're, you know, rag dolls. It's it's awesome. But uh, I just think, I mean, it go, it all go, comes back to the uh, to Julio's health for me. If Julio is healthy and he is on the field, I think this is going to play out perfectly for the Titans. And to look on the other end of it, I think this is a great trade for the Falcons, too, because wide receivers in the grand scheme of things, they just aren't that important in or, you know, let me let me take that back a little bit. I don't want to say they're not important, but but. When you're building a football team, you build from the inside out. You start with your center, your offensive line, your your uh, your defensive line on the opposite end of the ball. You don't start with the wide receiver. The wide receiver is the last piece that you need. Besides an offensive and a defensive line, the most important thing on a football team is a quarterback. And unfortunately, I would say probably the least important position on a football team is a wide receiver. And I don't think... I think and I think that's why Atlanta traded Julio is they have a smart enough front office to be able to look at, you know, the game of football in 2021 in the NFL and be like, hey, Julio had a great. What was it? Ten years he was in Atlanta. He's been in the league. I think he got drafted in 2011. He's been in Atlanta for quite a while. He's had a good time here, but he is not getting us any closer to our goal. And our goal is to win a Super Bowl. So. Therefore, we need to trade him. And it goes even farther. I mean, there's a reason they drafted Kyle Pitts in the draft, even though that Atlanta as a franchise does have a history of drafting uh, offensive weapons, uh, regardless of the the roster, which I think is just flat out arrogance. But teams have a way that they like to draft. And that's the way that the Atlanta Falcons draft. And that's the way the cookie crumbled, man. Julio's out. Kyle Pitts is in. I just was looking today. Calvin Ridley's uh, got the best odds to lead the league in receiving yards this year. I would bet money on that, too. And that's where we are with it. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you um, with the quarterback being the salt of the offense. I mean, honestly, if you look at the Falcons and look at the Titans, I mean, the Titans had far more success just because Tannehill has been playing out of his mind compared to Matt Ryan, who's had, you know, been on the downfall for the past three years, I would say. Ever since he got his soul stolen by Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just that comeback just ruined his career, to be honest with you. And I feel like there's a lot of pressure with that. But I mean, moving on, um, the Julio Jones thing is the the idea behind it is he's going to be good. Don't get me wrong, but as you said before, he's rising up in age, so it's going to be kind of hard to see him um, be so explosive right off the line. And a perfect example, I would say, like you said, wide receivers age pretty pretty fast. Um, I would like to like compare him to like Des Bryant, I, I, honestly. Des Bryant's That's a good one, dude. Yeah, Des Bryant's up in age right now. He was an excellent wide receiver, and it's just to the point where he's just on a downfall because just 
for the sole purpose that he's just aging. And there's nothing that can tell me that Des Bryant's going to be the same player that he was when he was on the Dallas Cowboys. And he was just basically mossing every single player or every single fucking cornerback in the league. And don't get me wrong, Julio Jones still can moss one of the best safeties and cornerbacks in the league. But how long is he going to be able to do this? And how long is he going to be able to keep this up for his team, for him to set his team in the right position so that they could, you know, possibly win a, you know, a Super Bowl? It, yeah, and I agree. I agree with that. And that's why I'm kind of saying that I think that he's going to help that team the most in just being Julio Jones. And the fact that the cornerback or the safety, you know, whoever, whoever's lining up against him across the line of scrimmage is saying, holy shit, I'm lining up against Julio Jones. I need to be on my A game. And that's going to be whether he's 40 or whether he's 21. I mean, it's the same way that if you were to play a pickup game against Michael Jordan, you're like, holy shit, man, I'm playing against Michael Jordan. I got to be on my A game, regardless of the fact that he's, you know, what is he in his early 60s now? And he can't, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, he was, a, he was Michael Jordan for Christ's sake, but <laughs> I don't think the NBA exactly would be fearing Michael Jordan at his age right now. But I, I think that, you know, Julio is going to distract the shit out of other defenses. And the fact that a defense going into a game against the Titans is going to have to worry about Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, and Derrick Henry, and Ryan Tannehill, and Corey Davis, as you added, who can be a pretty damn good receiver when he wants to be, I think that poses a ton of difficulty for opposing teams heading into, uh, heading in to play the Titans next year. Yeah, they definitely recovered from trading Jonu Smith by picking him up. So uh, they don't lose those receptions and those um, red zone targets that they once had with Jonu Smith. But I'd like to move on to NBA now, man. I'm ready to talk about the finals or the playoffs. Dude, oh man, I wish we were talking about the finals already. If we could just hit the fast forward button. We could talk about the finals a little bit on our prediction on who's going to make it because the Lakers... The Lakers, they fell. It's scary, yeah, now, that's, man. Uh, that's no shock. I mean, all right. So, all right. Before before we get into our NBA discussion, it's only right to be joined by our, by our fellow NBA friend. Uh, you guys know him as the hot take artist, Mr. Anthony Sahaski. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> wow, I wasn't ready for that. I was totally caught off. Uh, <laughs> It's good good to be here, boys. Good to be here. Good Julio Jones talk. Don't know a damn thing about anything you guys were talking about, but um, it sounded good. It sounded right. Hey, listen, that's the beauty of having a sports podcast where all three of us are into... I mean, I know all three of us love basketball, but all three of us have a different love for every single sport. So, like, for you, like, you don't care about football, so you just could just omit yourself from that segment. <laughs> I'm a baseball guy, man. Baseball and basketball... Danny knows. Danny knows. Oh, yeah. We're we're baseball people too. We love um well we used to love the Tigers back before uh as you said about uh Matt Ryan since the San Francisco Giants snatched the soul of the Detroit Tigers back in what was it 2013 when we got swept in the World Series? 2012, Dude. 2013, yeah. Yeah. I didn't yeah, I'm still not that big of a baseball guy, but I do remember a little 8th grade Mitch 
being pretty de- depressed watching that series and watching the Tigers get you know, their asses handed to them. Let me let me just say something for any any Giants fan or Giants organization member that may be listening. I watched that whole series with my dad. I was in like eighth grade. I was just a kid. And my dad would take me out to a restaurant and say, you want to go watch the Tigers play in the World Series? And I said, yeah, dad, I want to go spend some quality time with you. And then you guys ruined it. You, you swept us. All you right. just ruined it. I have a question then. How do you feel mentally what? now? How have I you feel felt? like it destroyed my relationship with my father, and I blame it all on the Giants. See what you did. See what you did, what you San did. Francisco. Destroyed a whole Gave family, daddy man. Daddy problems. <laughs> now he's got daddy problems. I got daddy issues. All I got daddy issues. Right now is the scene from Austin Powers. <laughs> his dad isn't at his knighting <laughs> ceremony. <laughs> he's like, Dad, Dad. <laughs> everyone starts pointing and laughing at him. Dude, we oh. really do need to do that fucking movies podcast. It was really Adam do. Sandler before, and now it's uh Mike Myers. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Myers, the guy that can play any movie character. <laughs> he just needs to put on a fat suit or something. <laughs> I.e. fat, the great fat bastard from the Austin oh my Powers God. series. Legendary. Baby back ribs. All right, let's talk about basketball. <laughs> okay. Um... Dude, LeBron James lost in the first round, first time in his career. What is like what what does this mean for LeBron's legacy? Like, is this like is this a huge like there's no way LeBron's ever gonna be involved in the goat talk ever again thing? Or is this just a hey, let's dust it off, get healthy, regroup, and we'll go at it again next year? I think I'm kind of <clears throat> the resident LeBron fanboy out of the three of us here, so I I, want, I feel like it's only necessary I take the reins on this one. <clears throat> so what I think that it means for LeBron's legacy, and I saw Anthony Edwards tweet about this, and you know he, would, it, he had a really good point. It was an Instagram post, one of the two. Um, really, the amount of like celebration that we've seen over LeBron James like failing is kind of just like, I don't want to say disgusting, because it is just sports at the end of the day, but like it's really just like everybody shows how much people hate on him and want him to fail. I feel like nobody's wanted an NBA player to fail more than they do LeBron. And, um, you know, everybody has their own reasons, but like at the end of the day, it's still really sad to see this great player, whether or not you think he's the best of all time is one thing, but you can't deny that he is like one of the all time greats. He is one of the greats, maybe not the greatest, but one of, and like seeing everybody celebrate the way they do about him getting knocked out for the first time is just like, man, it hurt my soul a little bit. It really like resonated how much LeBron is hated to me. I guess it didn't bother me that much, uh, you know, seeing the reaction to LeBron losing in the, the first round, because I mean, we do all know if not the most hated man in sports i he's got to be top three i mean he's got to be top three up with there with like at least in a, in american sports like tom brady lebron yeah. james anybody on the new york yankees i mean pretty hated <laughs> the whole organization <laughs> the whole new york yankees organization uh he's a pretty hated guy so i'm not, i definitely wasn't surprised by that reaction uh and i also I can't say that it wasn't disheartening to see as a LeBron fan myself, but at the same time, I do understand the oh-so-good pleasure of hate-watching, <laughs> and I do that every <laughs> single time I tune in to a Kyrie Irving game. <laughs> and uh, 
so I don't blame people for for that, you know, for coming at him. I can't say that I wouldn't be doing the same thing if the shoe wasn't on the other foot. Well, but, I guess, do you think it's going to end up being one of those things where it's like LeBron never got his flowers, like a Kobe thing, like he never got his flowers until it was too late. You know what I mean? Like he's gone by the time people like finally admit like, wow, like it's a consensus that LeBron is like a greatest of all time player where like he just didn't get his flowers. I feel like that's what it's going to end up being because like, you know, MJ was revered and he's still revered and he's still around to experience that. LeBron has never really had that like global consensus of like what an awesome great player we love his play style we love what he's done like you can't refute anything that he's done and I feel like he's not going to get his flowers that's how I feel I'm looking at LeBron's stats in the postseason right now and he's made the postseason since 2005 and this is the lowest amount of games that he has played in the playoffs. I mean, the next one is 2009, and that's 11 games, but he only played six games in this postseason. And to see that he shot three from eight from the three-point, 47% from the field, I mean, he was averaging 37 minutes, which is um, relatively lower than compared to his previous years. Obviously, he's aging. We can't blame him for that. But LeBron honestly posted still a good stat line when it came to the points, to the assists and the rebounds. And I don't think this all falls on his shoulders. I think this is related more towards an Anthony Davis issue. So um, when it comes from the Lakers end of the uh, court, it's just, they just had complications with injuries throughout this entire season. Anthony Davis, you know, plays a huge factor within the game because when he's out, they're not performing at their highest potential, at their highest level. And to see Anthony Davis just step out is just, you know, heartbreaking because I honestly thought that they were going to be back-to-back champs. And the more the season went on, the more I kind of didn't believe that. I mean, I did want to stick to my word. I did want to believe it. I did want to believe that LeBron was going to get his sixth ring this year. <clears throat> but it's just it's just really hard to see him fall in the playoffs but you can't really blame them either because on the phoenix sun side of the court they played amazing against them and they closed down the paint by playing the 2-2-1 zone and they were able to um have players like deandre aiden step up on the defensive end of the court and i think most people forgot how powerful uh the phoenix sun's defense really was during the during the regular season and during the postseason, it really showed and it really shined how much their defense really stepped up from, you know, the previous years. And let's not forget Devin Booker played an amazing series. I mean, he averaged 30 points, five assists, six rebounds, shot 48% from the field and 43% from the three. You're usually averaging 35% with an average player with their three-point percentage. It's usually 35%. This guy was going above average. And to see players like him who have, you know, um, a little bit of, you know, Kobe in them is really awesome to see them thrive within this league. Yeah, Phoenix, dude, like credit where credit's due. Phoenix played out of their absolute mind. Like they played like a two seed. Everybody thought and like Vegas reflected these numbers that this was a lopsided series and the odds were in the Lakers favor. And albeit maybe at full strength, they were. 
but I think we all kind of agreed about this like beforehand, but this was probably the best series of round one, maybe Dallas and Clippers. But um, like this series was incredibly good for Phoenix. They played so well. Devin Booker was firing on all cylinders. Like you said, Danny, the defense was killing it. DeAndre Ayton stepped up. Campaign killed it. Uh, Mikal Bridges killed it. You know, that whole team literally fired on all cylinders. They couldn't have done anything wrong. Yeah, not a not a single player on that Suns roster had a bad series, I think. And I think we took Devin Booker's and obviously you guys can't see this, but Devin Booker's, you know, playoff level expectation was like somewhere down here, you know, and I'm I'm holding my hand low for the people that can't see me. Um <laughs> and uh what we got his actual first round playoff performance ever his actual performance was way up here i mean over the top he blew the doors off the place no one expected this guy to play like this in his first playoff series i mean we talk about that so much how playoff experience matters and you see that because you see you see teams that are just you know oozing with talent but they don't have this this playoff experience and when they do get to the playoffs they falter you know like like uh, the bucks you know how many times have we seen the bucks just completely fall apart in the playoffs oh my god Giannis, year in and year out Giannis specifically and here is devin booker strolling in throwing his legs up on the desk like it's his you know like he owns the place and I mean, let's be real. He did. He owned that. He owned. He really that did walk into Staples Center like he fucking owned that place, like a hundred percent. Owned it. And I think we just have to kind of tip our caps to the Suns, and not only that organization, that that entire city deserves this. I mean, it was the first time in eleven years that the Suns had playoff basketball, and I remember saying in the last podcast that they may have picked the worst year to, you know to uh, come back to relevancy and they proved everyone wrong. I mean, just a, there was a ton of people in the media picking the Lakers in this. Of course, all three of us picked the Lakers in this one and I'm shocked. I mean, AD, AD tried to come back in game six. And it was admirable. You know, a lot of people are always on him about his health, about his engagement level, about him, quote unquote, babying himself. So, you know, I mean, it was an admirable effort for him to go out there and give it a go. He lasted all of five minutes. If you watched the game, <laughs> there was just, I mean, dude, you could tell right from the tip on the defensive end, he could not shuffle his feet. Like it wasn't, and we've seen AD play defense. We know he can play defense. This guy looked like he did not know what he was doing. And it was because that, that groin was just completely restraining him from playing any type of legit, meaningful basketball. And that's why he only played five minutes. Like, like I call him, you know, the peanut brittle assassin has struck again. The guy gets hurt. (laughs) I gets hurt all the time. And you know what? I kind of accredit the Suns' success to what I kind of I give it to the the veterans that they picked up. The Jay Crowders, the Chris Pauls, like those are like you were talking about playoff experience. Those are the guys that have it. Jay Crowder went all the way to the finals last year with Miami. Chris Paul has been to the the playoffs consistently, you know, no matter what team he's been on, whether it was first round exits on the Clippers or not, he was still making it to the playoffs and he's one of the best guards in the league. So like his veteran mentorship along with 
um, Jay Crowder, because that's the kind of mentality that you need. Jay Crowder has that um, that Montrez Harrell type of mentality, that nitty gritty. He gets down and does the dirty work. He plays defense. He doesn't care how many shots he gets. His only goal is to win the game for his team and do whatever it takes to win the game. And uh, I kind of credit the whole the whole whole series to that, because I think if you put those guys out there with two equal talent players, but without that experience and that mentality, aside from Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, you replace them. I don't think that team wins that series. Yeah, I, I honestly. Oh, shit. No, you're good, Danny. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So I wanted to kind of talk about um, the coaching within the Phoenix Suns. And I wanted to, like, you know, scrape over the surface here with them. Um Monty Williams did an excellent job. Um, I said it, you know, before this podcast, we saw that Tom Thibodeau won the coach of the year award um, today. And I honestly thought that it was going to be Monty Williams because to bring them to the second seed within the West is honestly astounding to see the way that he shut down even a healthy Anthony Davis game one. I mean, who played really well, he was able to bounce back within the series and completely shut down the Lakers who had still a strong roster without AD. Um, you still had Montrez Harrell, Schroeder. Uh, I got ACP, some beef with that, Danny. LeBron, I got some beef. Uh, with me saying that they had a strong roster. Yeah, I mean, like, maybe on paper, yeah. But, like, dude, that roster, they sucked. Okay, like, they stunk right it up. Now, with all the teams that LeBron brought to the finals, you think that that would have been the worst team? Maybe not. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of hard to compare, really. Like, no, the- incorrect. The answer is no. That team was still. <laughs> that team was a very strong team. It was better than the 2018 team that he brought to the finals and got his ass spanked by the Warriors. Rest in they peace. had Kyle rest- Kuzma and Taylor Horton Tucker playing on the court, Danny. Correct. Th- those correct. are you're not. Right. You're, you're absolutely right. They had horrible players that were playing on the court but andre drummond for christ's sake on the court danny nah nah andre drummond is doo-doo no he's not doo-doo andre drummond was a very strong presence within the paint oh my god they just walked around him but it wasn't up to taylor horton and it wasn't up to alex caruso they still had better players on the court though that's what i'm trying to say they had a former six man of the year who just won six man of the year the year before on the clippers montrez Montrez hasn't played the same all season he is not you can't tell me he's been the same montrez this season his numbers were like basically pushed down because he had anthony he had a short share at front court with anthony davis and andre drummond at that point dude not to get too serious on us real quick I remember reading a story on Montrez Harrell's like lack of production this season. And it's pretty it's pretty sad the reasoning behind it. I'm pretty sure he had a death in the family over the offseason. I think if I'm remembering correctly, his sister died and he was like super close with his sister and it's like just really screwed him up. Oh, that's pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to get too morbid on the podcast. I don't. Yeah, man. I'm just trying to just trying to help my guy out here. You just came out of right field with that one, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I should have said that, but oh well. Um, no, I mean, Danny, you're right. Like that team's not terrible. Like, but I mean, come on, put KCP, Alex Caruso, Kyle Kuzma, Marcus All, and Taylor Horton Tucker. Put them on any other team and take away LeBron, and tell me that's a playoff team. I'm sorry, dude. I'm just saying that LeBron, um, LeBron, 
is just getting up in age. I'm just trying to express the point that this wasn't the worst team that he's ever had that he brought to the finals. And I feel like they had a strong enough team to keep pushing and keep competing. But the way that Monty Williams coached was just remarkably amazing. And he was able to shut down the paint with the zone defense. And I was watching um, Kenny the Jet Smith. He was breaking down a play. Um, It was during game five. And... LeBron was driving to the net and it was to the point where there was two players in front of him, two players on the outside of the paint near the, like, see, they were between the paint and the perimeter, but they were hugging the paint. Like they were literally sitting on the line. And then you had Chris Paul at the top of the key, uh, basically on the free throw line. And they basically had it to the point where they had five people smothering LeBron and then they dared him to kick it out because they were already ready for that, that three point shot or that three point kick for a three point shot. And it actually ended up that um, he passed it to the right person who was at the top of the perimeter, who was Taylor Horton Tucker. He was wide open for a three and um, Chris Paul was able to rotate and get to the top of the perimeter and be able to contest that shot. So the way that they were rotating on defense, the way that they were playing the zone in the paint was just, you can't, you can't really beat it. But when you look at the Lakers and you look at LeBron and the teams that he's had previously and the teams that he's faced example, when he went up against Toronto every single year and he was able to spank them, even though they had a really strong team on the offense and the defensive side, but you take him to the 2021 Lakers now. And he was just, I don't know. It just didn't seem like the, the right LeBron, the same LeBron, but the numbers were there. But the energy, it just seemed like he wasn't as explosive or as caring. Um, just he was at, all over the court is what I'm trying to get at. He was just kind of like playing his position, playing his game. Just kind of that's the that's the one thing I agree with you on that you just said was like LeBron didn't play explosive. He didn't take control. He didn't dominate the game like we're used to seeing him do. And it could be age. It could be he's trying to like step down a little bit, like let somebody else be that guy. But, you know, the Phoenix Suns outclassed them on every aspect of the game. Yeah. And like like you were saying about them collapsing on LeBron in the paint. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because who the hell is he going to pass it to, Danny? What? Look at the <laughs> meme I put in chat. Kyle Kuzma wide open for three. Who the hell cares? three-point shooter you had done oh my god look up the three-point stats for that for every player on that fucking team i'm sorry pardon my friends yeah 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 yeah. i I get it he didn't have a a strong team this year but he had a a garbage team he had he had a contending team still oh my god i don't think he was garbage either and we do need to wrap this this segment up no, no, I'm no, hold on. That I want to express that I'm not trying to <laughs> dog on LeBron. I'm just saying that he's just one of those players that he, he needs to lean back on a player now. He needs to lean back on a on an all-star 100%. in order, in order to no make it far. And that's not his fault, though, because majority of teams already have dynamic duos. I mean, look, look at Brooklyn. They have a trio of superstars. I mean, it's not wrong for him to match up with a superstar just like AD. It's just when an AD goes down, then that's when the problems start to start to 
you know, Damian Lillard to the Lakers in the offseason. I'm just saying. Well, yeah, that would be Brooklyn crazy. would have Brooklyn would have a that. trio of uh, superstars if James Harden hamstring was not. Uh, let's just call it a uh, absent. Yeah, they haven't oh, came no. out the MRI yet, dude. It's scary. Scary. Now they only have Kyrie absent. Irving and Kevin Durant. What is Brooklyn going to do? <laughs> All right. Oh, no. um, you know what? Screw it. That's a perfect time to segue to Brooklyn. Let's just talk about them first. We'll get to them, and then we will get to Atlanta and New York. We'll wrap up that with that series. Um, so, yeah, Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Here we are, round two. This is about, I'm looking at my watch. It's about time for the Bucks to choke in the playoffs. Yes. <laughs> I gotta, hey, listen, I got a twist for you guys. I don't think the Bucks are going to do it this time, man. And I what? really got, I really got to plant my flag here because they got their asses absolutely handed to them the first game. Uh, currently, at the time of recording, I was watching the game and at halftime, it was 60 to 33 Brooklyn Nets. So, uh, <laughs> This this take is progressing and aging wonderfully already, but fuck it. I'm going to keep going with it. I do uh, respect I think, you not switching up your take, by the way, because you did hey, say I'm, this before the pod. And now I'm, I respect you not switching it up. I'm sticking to the guns, man. Uh, I think the Bucks can and will take this series. Uh, there's a couple things that we know about playoff basketball in the NBA. Um, there's a few things that you, you're going to need. You're going to need a star. Um, the Bucks have that. They have Giannis. No shit. The Nuts have that. They have three of them. Well, two, because of what we just said about James Harden's hamstring. Um, they have, you know, Giannis. You're going to need a great defensive team, which is what the Bucks are. They're a team full of long, good defenders. Drew Holiday. Uh, Giannis is a great defender. Brooke Lopez in his age, still a very good shot blocker. Um, and you're going to need a coach with experience, someone who's been around the block before. Um, Mike Budenholzer, everyone knows him. You know, I mean, he's been around the block. He's been in the NBA. Believe if I'm remembering correctly, he's from the Popovich coaching tree. So that obviously bodes well for him. And then you could take a look at the Brooklyn Nets. Now, what do the Brooklyn Nets have? They have their stars. You know, they have the James Harden, KD, Kyrie, whether you want to include James Harden since, you know, he's got that hamstring thing going on. Not to, you know, upset you there, Danny. Oh, man. Um, uh, <laughs> but um, so, yeah, they got the stars. They don't have the defense. You can't argue that uh, their front court is once again absent. I mean, well, you know what? Maybe it's not. Blake Griffin has really... Bam, one bamboozled the city of Detroit and two gave the Brooklyn Nets. Don't get uh, me started. Dude, don't get me started. I get pissed off watching that guy like dunk. He ripped us off. off. He bamboozled he us. us he literally bamboozled <laughs> us, dude. He made us look like fucking like idiots. So he put us on a wild goose chase. He really <laughs> like, did, man. Like we could have gotten something for him if he didn't just you know, do what he did and just choose to not play well. He chose to just sit there and shoot seven, eight threes a game and just take layups. Right. And to get back to it, you know, I don't like the Brooklyn Nets are just not like a soundly built team. Like you cannot argue it. I understand the talent and 
it goes back to almost almost with football, the whole quarterback insult thing that we talk about. That's how it is in the NBA and just with stars. You know, you can seemingly have this crap ass roster, but if you throw, you know, three players on it that are just insanely talented, like Katie, Kyrie, and James Harden are, and it fixes a lot of things. And I, I guess I kind of understand it because even if you take things, you know, like football, you got a 55 man roster. Or if you're talking on the offensive side or on the defensive side, you know, at one time you got 11 guys on the field. Well, basketball is much more small scale. You got 15 guys on the roster. You really have eight that you trust, you know, eight that you like that you go to. That's your that's your rotation of the playoffs. You got eight guys. And when three of them are KD, Kyrie and James Harden. I could see how that fixes a lot of things for you, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I feel like they're still not a very soundly built team. Uh, you can, you know, walking into the paint is like walking down an open hallway. It's just, it's, it's sad. And to see that the, the Bucks are playing so horribly right now is really confusing to me, to be honest with you, because I did not expect this. I thought this was going to be a much more closer series, a much more physical series. Uh, and what I'm seeing right now, especially, you know, here, like almost done with game two is that the, uh, the Bucks defense is not holding up and KD and Kyrie are simply just doing what they do playing out of their minds. So as much as I hate Kyrie Irving, but he's, he's doing it. You got anything to say before I go on my rant? Me? Yeah. Yeah. I could say a thing or two. Yeah. 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 Um, I could say a thing or two. First of all, first of all, fuck Kevin Durant, fuck James Harden, and fuck the Nets. Dude, you know how much praise Steve Nash is about to get if they win this championship? First year head coach, and he wins a championship. Dude, it's just the same thing as those LeBron-led teams. It's not Steve Nash coaching. It's throwing James Harden, Kyrie, and Katie on the floor and giving them the green light to do whatever the heck they want to do. And then it's just going to space the floor so well for Joe Harris to get his shot. You got Landry Shamit getting his shot. And then let me tell you one more thing. This really grinds my gears when I'm watching the pregame and I see like the Nets all getting like, you know, James Harden, KD and Kyrie are getting all hyped up together. And then I see DeAndre Jordan's bum ass sitting there getting all hype with them. What the heck? What does he do? What does tell me? Tell me what that man does. Exactly what you just said. He's the hype man. He's the designated hype man. I think that's so BS that this dude's going to catch a ring. And all he does is just sit there and jump around on the bench and just say nice things to people. He's like he's like a less likable Richard Jefferson. Like, I love Richard Jefferson. But DeAndre Jordan really just does nothing except a locker room presence. And um it bugs me. It it grinds my gears. It really grinds my gears. Now, Danny, take it away. So hey, you're saying on, that the Nets are going to win? Just a slight. Just I got to cut you off real quick, Danny. Just real quick. Yeah, you, you brought up Richard Jefferson, and I just got to say, if my head was shaped like that, I'd go bald <laughs> right now, bro. Right now. Like <laughs> right now, you shape my head, dude. dude. I would go bald this instant, dude. I, he has to have somebody like spit shine that shit every single time he hits the air. Because it's that amazing. shit is like you could it's more reflective than a mirror. Like yeah. you could see the entire studio off just his forehead. Like, like I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> wow, look at that. <laughs> He's like Roddy Rich, dude. Eat her, dude. Right on his forehead. 
All right, I, I'm sorry for interrupting. Carry on. All right, so obviously Anthony just said that DeAndre Jordan is going to catch a ring by sitting on the bench and hyping his teammates up. So obviously he thinks that the Nets are going to win the championship. I'm so glad that you're with me on this. And I'm well, yeah, so glad LeBron's that not you there said, anymore. fuck Kevin Durant, fuck Kyrie, and fuck <laughs> Harden. And you think <laughs> it, it's not even past the second round yet. So this is cute. Um, Oh, dude, it's over. Who's going to beat them, man? Come on, tell me. I'd love can... to see Phoenix go against them. That would be a, it'd be an interesting. Like I feel like whoever comes out of the West, it's gonna be interesting. But like at the end of the day, nobody's gonna beat that team, man. Unless it's LeBron, and LeBron's not there anymore. AD peanut butter brittle player just completely busted my hopes and dreams for this season. Uh, now I get to assassin. <laughs> peanut brittle assassin. I'm sorry. Now I have to watch three of arguably my most hated players in the league just coast to a championship. It's just cool that when superstars hit the scene that role players step up and to see Joe Harris and to see Nicholas Claxton arrive in this playoffs is just actually pretty dope. And then you see Blake Griffin tearing it up on the Brooklyn Nets in the postseason against the Bucks. It's just that's weird to see because he sucked on the Pistons and then miraculously he just got good. My belief on it is that he didn't want to injure himself because he knew he wanted to leave to a contending team. Uh, I told Anthony that before the podcast. The Brooklyn Nets... Can I, can I interrupt for a moment, Danny? Yeah, I mean, I don't care. Go ahead. So just real quick, James Harden and Blake Griffin really deserve each other, man, because he pulled a James Harden gaining 70 pounds or wearing a fat suit and taking it off on the plane ride home. Facts. Which, by the way, I genuinely believe he had a fat suit on because there is no way like literally just getting off the plane. He looked 30 pounds lighter. It was ridiculous. But he really kind of did the same thing where it's like. I know him in Detroit kind of separated on like good terms, but like you could tell that he's the one that initiated wanting to get out of there. And like he kind of forced his way out. I'm sure it happened behind the scenes, but he forced it. He's like, I'm just not going to really like shine for you guys. So you don't have any need to keep me around. And then, you know, I'll go to where I want to go and then I'll pop off and like be myself again. No, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nope. I'm speaking on behalf of the Detroit Pistons. I'm actually, I swear to God, I'm good friends with Troy Weaver. He's actually sitting right here. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. The good terms are off. Blake Griffin can go do. I was going to say something I should say, but <laughs> screw you, Blake Griffin. You completely you wanna, dropped us. <laughs> do you guys want to hear something completely like kind of off topic, but interesting as hell? Yes. So I was at Motor City. Um, like last weekend and a long I was playing poker. <laughs> Sorry, Danny. <laughs> I was at Motor City playing poker and I don't know who this guy was, but he was sitting at my table and he gets up to go buy chips. And this one old dude next to me is like, you know who that is? And I was like, no, he's like, you don't recognize him. I said, no. And he said he used to play for the Pistons. See, he's like, that dude's got money to blow. Like he's going to keep going back and forth. So I don't, I don't know who he was. He was like an older guy, probably like in his forties. So I did play poker with a former Pistons player. I just thought that's a cool little tidbit. He took the money. I don't know why that mine came to. Kyle Singler, Kyle Buckets. I love (laughs) Kyle Buckets. Dude, did did you still have something to say? Um... So James Harden is out of game two right now with a hamstring um, aggravation and the MRI still hasn't come came back. I just 
dude, I hope for the best for him, honestly. Like, to go down in the playoffs when, you know, you're making your finals push, you've never been to the final, or you've been to the finals with OKC, but that was with Kevin Durant, like, way back when. I mean, that hasn't been since, you know, in the past five years. So, like, he's on a drought right now, definitely. And for him to go down with a hamstring injury just sucks this is all correct in a way where i can agree with you there would be there was no playing time together so everybody was just kind of pushing the chemistry thing but as you can see right now in the playoffs it doesn't really matter because kevin durant's still going to take over and kevin durant's still going to play the game that he wants to play and wants to control and to have Kyrie irving right next to him is just makes it easier so when james harden if james james harden comes back from this mri or with this injury and the mri turns out he can come back you know within the next few games maybe the next series that would that'd be dope because you would see the brooklyn nuts honestly show you that chemistry wasn't the reason why they were going to fall because they all know basketball like the back of their hands I'm talking about Kyrie. I'm talking about Harden and Kevin Durant. They're going to be able to control that game with all three of them on the court. No problems, no questions asked. And to have role players step up, Blake Griffin, Claxton, Joe Harris, like I mentioned before, they'll be able to compete against the Bucs because the Bucs are still one of those teams where, yes, they have a good defensive rating, but their offensive rating is just not there. I mean, once you close down the paint, once you're able to eliminate and take out Giannis out of the game, I mean, you have really who's who's left, Chris Middleton, True Holiday, Brooke Lopez. I mean, these are all players that are um, – I'm, I'm not going to say that Brooke Lopez is good. I'm going to say that True Holiday and Chris Middleton can hold their own, but I don't think they could put up – the game, the game that they can, they have to put up would have to be miraculous. It would have to be, you know, beyond expectations and have to push to, you know, new limits. Um, so to see the Brooklyn Nuts being able to compete against the uh, the Milwaukee Bucks is just showing me right now that you know, um, their defense. They're, they're, I guess you could say people's persona on their team's defense is not really um, showing as like a correct because this is one of the things where it's just their offense is just taking over. And I mean, Steve Nash is one of those coaches that is just he's not one of those, you know, household names he's not one of those guys that is able to control the game and to be able to coach um and draw you know a correct play but he's able to at least get his guys going to the point where they're not in the situations of a close game and he's able to motivate them enough to the point where they just go out there and they're they're just playing explosive you know, offense and defense. I mean, I just don't see any holes in their game right now. I just think that they're very well put together team. I think the hole in their game is that the the Bucks are playing like absolute shit. Well, why are <laughs> they though? 
Why is their know. offensive that's... rating lower, though? That's the thing. They should be stomping on their front court. They no problems. They... No questions asked. But Blake Griffin stepping up. Like, and you know how are you going to let Blake Griffin dude? step up? You know what's weird, too? And we got we to gotta wrap it up on this segment real quick. But I think, if I'm remembering correctly, the Bucks in game one of that series had 75 points in the paint. That's incredible. And they lost. So it's like... It's like, I mean, kudos, this is where I, you know, I do give kudos to Steve Nash and he's recognizing that, hey, this team can't shoot for shit. Um, let's just let them eat on the inside and we'll let them take open threes all day long. And the Bucks aren't hitting them. And I mean, they're on the road. I'm sure things are going to turn around for a little bit when they get back to Milwaukee. But for That's my cap. final. For, oh, no. is cap? That's yeah, cap, that's dude. Cap. The Bucks aren't turning it around. No way. I'm sorry, but dude, ever since LeBron got knocked out, I've just turned into a pessimist. The Brooklyn Nets are going to win I'm the looking, game series. I'm looking at I'm my never, watch right now, and it's I'm, saying <laughs> Bucks are about to choke. It's about that time. I'm looking at my watch right now, and it's saying Nets in four. I know neither of you have a watch on right now. I actually know all three of us don't have a watch on right now. Hey, listen, just, dude. Danny, the Nets are going to win, and we're just never going to hear the end of it from you about James Harden winning a goddamn ring. And I'm just, I yes, just can't wait for this to be over. Yes, sir. <laughs> Final statement on the Nets does LeBron's not matter. LeBron's had five. Harden's had zero. Let me shine, okay? LeBron's had four. You don't get to shine. Mm. Until LeBron gets seven, then you can shine. All right. Final statement on the five. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Kyrie can spread his sage and smoke his peace pipe as much as he wants. It ain't hunting season. Bucks in seven. Uh, I think Not Uncle Moses is going to spread his sage and be able to execute in four. Uncle Moses is about to get sniped from 400 yards by James Harden after hitting the fucking triple step back. Uncle <laughs> Moses. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's move on. Last, last topic. Last I don't want to talk about it. Oh, okay. Sorry. You know, we're going to end the episode. Anthony's having a tantrum. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it, man. We'll get you, we'll get you your uh, your orange slices and your Capri Sun. Cheer you up there. <laughs> um, Ice Trey, the king of the A. <laughs> um, they have really taken the playoffs by storm. At least I think. I mean, I didn't expect that uh, they would. I mean, especially winning game one in Philly in the second round. I mean, I, I, I liked that that New York series they were in. Um, I don't think it was New York's year. Um, unfortunately for uh, Cody, the young kid who like 10 years ago wanted the Knicks to make the playoffs and they finally made it and they lost in five games. So if that doesn't tell you what it's like being a fan of the New York Knicks, then I don't know what else it does. Uh, I'm not a Knicks fan. I'm just saying, but um, yeah, the Hawks have really taken the postseason by storm um, to see Trey young, we all know he's really, really, really good. Uh, future top five, top three point guard. I mean, he might, he's already top 10, but he might already be top five, which the way that he's with the way that he's playing right now. Um, and to see this at such a young age, to see this, this playoff dominance, because that's really what it was from him. I mean, we are not used to seeing that. And it's kind of weird. Like, I feel like not only are we seeing, like we're, I feel like we're like literally seeing humans and the league evolve. Like years ago, like even ten years ago, like rookies did not used to. I mean, Trey Young is not a rookie, but 
rookies to the playoffs and just guys that are, I mean, Trey Young's 22 years old. That did not used to happen in the NBA. I mean, there was guys like Magic, who at, you know, 20 years old, you knew he was going to be great. You know, guys like Tim Duncan, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. But now it's like the league is just littered with these guys. Like, I mean, just Trey Young, Luka Doncic, John Morant. I mean, it just goes on and on. These young players that are just fantastic. Zion, like we've never, ever had so much young talent in the league. And I cannot begin to express how excited I am to watch Trey Young's career. Um, I, of course, I'm excited to watch the rest of their second round series. But unfortunately for the Hawks, I don't think it's going to I think they're overachieving. Essentially, I don't think that they're going to beat the Sixers. The Sixers are one of the best defensive teams in the league. And at the end of the day, I'm still going to put my money on the team with the better coach, the more experience. You know, I mean, of course, the better players, I mean, you know, and they got Joel Embiid and it's like, I mean, Embiid, Embiid might contest Anthony Davis for the peanut brittle assassin award, but you know I don't know, else, you, uh, where you, you know guys at else? series? Well, first and foremost, the Knicks, the Knicks overachieved this year. So, I mean, yeah, they got a first round bounce in five games. But they did way better than anybody thought they would. So, like you, really, as a Knicks fan, you can't really be too upset with how this season played out. Nobody in their right mind was expecting that to happen. So, like kudos to them and good for New York and good for the Knicks. You know, that's a great thing for them to do this year. And then <laughs> what you were saying about Trey Young, like spot on. Trey Young, um, <clears throat> rookie in the playoffs, and he's playing with such confidence, such grace, such just skill. And I, I think the Hawks are going to win this series with or without Joel Embiid on the floor. Um, I think this team has just really been built to win this year. Not not win it all, of course, but I think they, they stand a very good shot of going to the Eastern Conference Finals and then getting absolutely spanked by the Nets. But um, I think they'll be there, and I think Trey Young has really showcased his ability to um, to carry a team and dominate a game and to decide where the game is going to go for his team. It's like how LeBron can do it. LeBron used to be able to do it at least turn that switch on and dictate exactly where his team's going to go. And Trey young has killed that so far this postseason. He's embraced the role of being the villain. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I definitely see them. I definitely see them popping off in this Sixers series and carrying that momentum into the Eastern Conference Finals and probably taking at least a game from the Nets is my prediction. I I don't know. I to be honest, looking at the Hawks and looking at the the Philadelphia 76ers, I just look at two very strong teams and it's very even to be honest with you. I mean, most people will say that the Philadelphia 76ers defense is the biggest factor within this matchup, but I think that's cap because I feel like that the Hawks have a squad of players on their team, including Gallinari, including Bogdan Bogdanovich, talking about Ice Trey, um, Clint Capella, John Collins. So, I mean, I'm just naming Kevin Herter. Yeah, dude. Cam Reddish, like Lou Williams. Lou Williams like... coming off the bench. I mean, I'm just, we're naming off very very good players it's just one of those things where against the knicks the knicks had a really good defense and um the knicks were able to play atlanta pretty well 
um in in terms of just giving it their 100% every single game too bad they, they they fell short but moving on to the 76ers now i mean we're seeing Embiid um make his way back in in the series and i feel like his his point average is going to be very very high i think his defensive rating is going to be very very good they're going to be able to keep it close but I do feel like that the Hawks are going to be able to take this series because it's just one of those things where it's the Cinderella factor and the mm-hmm. Cinderella effect where it's all these players that I just named off, Ice Trey, Clint Capella, and John Collins. I mean, you have a three. Those are three very big names. And um, what most people don't know is John Collins is a very, very good and consistent player. He's able to bring his 100% and keep his strong stat line um, within, you know, multiple game stretch, within a multiple game stretch. So seeing Atlanta go against the 76ers, I just feel like the 76ers off, like as soon as the Hawks are able to figure out their offense, it doesn't matter about the Philadelphia 76ers defense. If they're able to shut down and be, I mean, bring Ben Simmons to the line every single time he drives to the paint. I mean, he's not going to be able to knock down consecutive free throws. I mean, I, I see Tobias Harris. I don't think that he'd be able to pull his team back in the game. He only thrives when the team is doing good. So yeah. I, I'm just seeing a lot of 76ers players that are just overrated. And I just think that the 76ers defense is very, very good. Don't get me wrong, but when it comes to a matchup like this where you just have a bunch of players that can just pop off on an Atlanta Hawks offense, it doesn't really matter because there's just an option all over the floor for them. Exactly. I think Atlanta is just going to simply outscore them, and that's it. Because Trey Young is going to continue to just try to shoot through the lane, get his little floaters. He's got multiple lob options with uh, John Collins and Clint Capella. He's got multiple shooting threats with Gallinari, Kevin Herter. Um, John Collins, another shooting threat. Um, God, I'm, I know I'm missing one here. I'm blanking. But uh, anyways, uh, and then Trey Young... Bogdanovich, there you go. That's who it was. Multiple shooting options. And then Trey Young can also hit it from 40 feet. So, I mean... It's really a team that's just like you have to, it's a double bladed sword. No matter what you do, there's going to be somebody on the floor open that can make a play on you. And I think they're just going to really outscore them. And I think Philly's defense is going to have their moments and their stretches. And that's what's going to keep games close for them. Um, but I just don't see them outscoring Atlanta at all. I think that's where they're going to fall short. Joel Embiid's going to get his double doubles, his triple doubles. He's going to drop his 20, 30 points a game. But uh, Atlanta's just going to shoot the lights out. It's Like I said, uh, I, I just want to bring it back to the Nets and Giannis series because it's really relevant to this topic right now. I mean, it just seems like... Both teams, the Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers, had high expectations in the playoffs because of their defense. But team, if teams are able to take out a player, so if you're able to take out Embiid, you're able to shine and your offense is going to suppress their defense. And it doesn't matter about defensive rating at that point. That's the same thing that's happening over there with the the Bucks and the Nuts. It, like... Once you figure out how to take out Giannis, you're able to have players like Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving pop off. And I'm not saying that they have players like Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, but they have far more high-end role players that are able to pop off. And it's just like you just 
basically are blindfolded and then you can just line up the Atlanta Hawks like a firing squad and then you can just kind of like wave your finger around and then just you know whoever you point to that's the person that's going to be like popping off for that game so it's just one of those things where like any of them can just like explode and be able to take over for you know multiple minutes within the game would I don't know I kind of disagree I I mean I agree and I disagree I agree with what you say about Atlanta and their young talent. And it's not just Trey young. Like you said, it's, it's Clint Capella. It's John Collins. It's a, uh, it's Bogdanovich. It's Kevin Herter. I mean, they're loaded with these, you know, they have elite offensive talent like Trey young. And I definitely would not put John Collins in the elite category. I would definitely put him in the good. I mean, he's a quality player. I think we all would agree on that. And, um, I, well, one thing that I think Philadelphia has, and I think Philadelphia essentially has the exact opposite, but for defensive players. Like you mentioned that Tobias Harris is not really, you know, like going to be able to, well, not carry the team, but he only plays good when the team plays good. The player well, to bring I him think, back, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, they have guys like Matisse Thibel, fantastic defensive player. Dwight Howard, as long as he's, he's a joke, but I mean, we got to take him seriously, guys. You're not making a strong case here, dog. <laughs> I get what you're saying. I mean, you're right. Like, the tables are kind of flipped for Philly, where they all around the board, even, they though. have, they got quality defensive players. But I, I think when you have good offensive talents, they're always going to find a way to score no matter who's guarding them, especially when you have so many different options because there's so many different methods of attack for Atlanta. You got Trey Young cutting. Okay, so now you bring Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons over. He's going to toss a lob up to Clint Capella or John Collins. You got uh, Trey Young cutting again. You're staying back. You're staying home because you don't want the lob option. Trey Young's going to shoot a floater over his defender. Um, you got the the uh, insane shooting Trey Young can pull off, and you got the insane driving kicks that they can pull off to just quality three point shooters. Nobody crazy, not really any household names quite yet, but quality guys who will knock down shots for you in big moments who have continuously done it throughout the seasons and throughout their careers. Uh, Bogdanovich has hit multiple huge shots for Atlanta, especially in game one. Bogdanovich hit a huge shot down the stretch for him. Um, And that's where I think, you know, good offense is always going to score over good defense at the end of the day. So you're you're never going to stop them on every possession down the floor. And that's where I think offense trumps defense. Mitch, man, you're the new Max Kellerman of this podcast. I'm going to start calling you Mitch or Max McCartney. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Max McCartney well, has spoken saying that Dwight Howard is going to be relevant within this series. I mean, his defensive rating is very good. Don't get me wrong. And I do see why you brought him up because he does play a big factor within their defensive rating. But he was huge last year in the playoffs, the Lakers. No, I definitely do. But it's just it's just hard to see him make an impact. And it's hard to see the Philadelphia 76ers role players make an impact within a game and bring them back. I just feel like Atlanta's role players are able to um, be able to execute um, in situations where they need to execute. I don't know. I think you guys, I don't think you guys are giving the Sixers enough credit, specifically Joel Embiid. As much as I don't like him as a player, I think like if he can stay healthy, I'm too I mean, angry. It depends oh. on how Clint Capella does on him. 
he's going to get his own. But I think the key to the series is really like Ben Simmons. I and we know like Ben Simmons has his struggles with his outside shot and with his free throw. But, you know, on the offensive end of the court, he's a fantastic, you know, uh, point guard. He plays fantastic defense. If he's able to get inside and, you know, have his classic Ben Simmons game where, you know, he all of his every almost every single point he scores is in the paint. And, you know, he's got eight assists, eight rebounds, plays good defense, doesn't foul. I think you'll find that the series is going to be a lot closer than you think. And I don't know. You guys have any like final thoughts on this one before we talk about uh, Anthony's uh, well, his nope. little art piece that's going to be happening there pretty soon? <laughs> I'm calling Hawks in five. Nah, I think Hawks it's gonna go game seven. Five. Yeah, I think Hawks it's gonna go five. further. Oh my god! If we weren't short for one. time, I would so <laughs> talk about this more, uh, <laughs> dude. Hawks in. I'm telling you, watch how good their offense is gonna be, and watch how. Like, I don't get me wrong. You know, I don't disagree with the fact that Philly has one of, if not the best defenses in the entire league this year. I just, I thoroughly believe in the fact that good offense trumps good defense at the end of the day and in in this generation of sports specifically nba basketball i don't think you're stupid for that i still think you're stupid but just not for that no i'm definitely (laughs) stupid for making a fucking bet to get a clippers tattoo on my on my ass adam sandler oh my god perfect Perfect segue Yeah, so we talked about it after the pod uh, a little bit. Some just brainstorming some ideas. Me thinking that I'll never have to actually get this tattoo because there's no way Dallas is throwing this. Um, Luke, I tell you, Luca, listen to the pod. He said, "Fuck, man, I gotta throw this series." (laughs) For this one guy out in fucking Detroit, Michigan, I I need to see that ass tattoo. But uh, yeah, we talked about the idea of getting an Adam Sandler tattoo, wearing like a Clippers jersey or something like that, or like a caricature of Adam Sandler, like with the big bobblehead type beat with uh, a Clippers jersey or something like that, something along those lines. That's what we, I think it's what we ended on. Posterizing LeBron. Yeah, me and Danny actually talked about this last night. I forgot about that. Yeah, Adam the Sandler idea. The Clippers jersey dunking on LeBron. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's not yeah. even a bad tattoo at this point. That's just <laughs> no. fucking hilarious. I mean, Adam Sandler. Imagine showing that tattoo to people because no one's going to see your ass. But That's like, what I'm saying. You want to see my ass tattoo? That's like a perfect way to like open up a conversation. It's an icebreaker for sure. A lot, times, a lot of times it's something like stupid. I mean, not that this is stupid, but like this is it's stupid. Just unique, it's just a unique tattoo. Adam Sandler in a Clippers jersey dunking on LeBron. Like it's uh, right, it's a this, niche this tattoo. This is going to have to happen. Is that what you guys know, want? Yeah. Hey, man, it's on your I'm, body. I'm uh, I'm letting you guys pick what gets tattooed. Obviously, there's restrictions. I'm not going to let anything like obscene beyond me. But I mean, like, you know, I can't really say there's anything wrong with that necessarily. Like, you know, as much I'm as it pains me. The title for this episode that is going to be right amazing. Now. I'm thinking of the commercial right now where the uh, I feel like it's a Snickers commercial or whatever. It's kind of an old one at this point, but the guy gets a tattoo like across his neck. It's supposed to say no regrets, but they spelled it. No rag rats. <laughs> oh, my like God. It's like Amy that. Miller's when that guy had the neck tattoo. Yeah. Remember yep. that? No regrets. Yes. No regrets. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, to actually talk about that series, the Clippers have once again puzzled the mind of every level of NBA fan there is. I don't think there's a single person in the NBA media, any analyst that can really understand this team. Uh, you could compare it to the way that men understand women. Um, it's pretty bad. <laughs> I just, I'm confused, dude. Like, this doesn't happen very often. How the hell did no one win a home game until game seven? Like, how, how is that possible? A lot of pressure. I really, I, I got, I, I'm at a loss for words, man. I don't know. Uh, you know, in game six, when the Clippers were facing elimination, Luca, I mean, Luca tried his best, but he got shut down so hard. Kawhi did such a good job guarding him. Um, and Kawhi dropped 45 points and Reggie Jackson of all people dropped 20 points. Who would have seen that one coming? Another one got away from us. We got, we got robbed again, but, um, <laughs> Reggie Jackson was hiding talent. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's not get into conspiracy theories now. Reggie Jackson's got no talent. But, <laughs> you know, that was... in Game 6 is really where it shifted in my head, where it was like, dang, Kawhi is stepping up like to that next level where we're used to seeing him play, and everybody was sitting here for the first two games, like, when is Kawhi going to really show up and play the way we're used to seeing him play? And turns out you just need to put him in a game six elimination game. And uh, that's when that Kawhi comes out. And unfortunately for me, that's about two games after I agreed to get an ass tattoo if they won. So um, I'm going to get my camera like TMZ on Kanye. I just thought of the entire time. (laughs) Wait, hold on. Wait, what's that? Say it again. I said, I'm going to be with my camera like TMZ on Kanye West the entire time during this process of this tattoo that Anthony is about to get, dude. This is so fucking funny, dude. Holy shit. Yeah, I can't wait to tattoo, record this shit. You know what you should get? You should get, you should get Kawhi sitting down at like his little press conference deck or deck, <laughs> desk and, um, <laughs> and uh, get the little uh, like thought bubble draw. You know his weird ass laugh? <laughs> <laughs> you should get that. That in his thought bubble. <laughs> I just want to know, like, what the tattoo artist is going to think when we show him this. Like, if, if they're just going to reject it and be like, absolutely not. I am not doing that to anybody. That is, that is just the oh. dumbest thing I've ever seen. He might be oh, Adam Sandler no fan, dude. No you way, because I know my tattoo artist. A little, little story here to end the podcast. So my tattoo artist, shout out to Matt Black at Eternal Tattoos. Does fantastic work. You need a tattoo, go see Matt Black. Will he do um, my tattoo? Dude, he will. You want to go to that? He I, do I don't tattoo. have a specific artist lined up. So, yeah, I guess we could do that. Hey, giving him business. That's what I'm all about. All right. So um, what the hell was I going to talk? Oh, yeah. Story about a tattoo. Um, so anyways, my tattoo artist is telling me one time that um, he gets this Canadian guy that comes in and he wants a tattoo. He's a little bit under the influence. And uh he asked to get a penny tattooed on his balls. Huh? Oh my God. For, simply for the reason so he could call it his coin pouch. That is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Dude, in my no, life. That's amazing. I love it. That's what I said. Dude, dude, I said I left my Just ass to off. fucking have a joke like that running for the rest of your life. Nah, who are you going to show a tattoo the- like that? All right. 
I guess I guess it's good. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week on episode. I lost count at this point, but we're going to have another one next week. So, hey, tune in next week for our next episode. You know you're going to want to hear us and our bullshit. We'll see you guys then.